Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. And last week we, we kicked that off with a, a principle that we called stop and listen because we said before getting into the, the details of a book, it's best to first become familiar with that book beginning to end. And the best way that you become familiar with a book is just by reading it, by stopping and listening. Well, today we're going we're gonna to develop that a little more um, as we consider our second principle, what we're going to call staying on the line. And to set that up, I want to just read from Jonah, from Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there again to Jonah chapter 1 and follow along with me as I read. It says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're going to start looking at the details of this little book, and I ask that as we do, you would continue to show us ourselves, to show us who we are and how bent we can be and how far we fall, and how much we need Jesus, and how much you've provided in Jesus that we might know Jesus, in whose name I pray, amen. In June of 2014, Rolling Stone magazine released its list of the hundred greatest country songs of all time, which began with a question, what makes a great country song? And and here's the answer that this article gave. It tells a story. It has a, a twang you can feel down to the soles of your feet. Some get mad. Some get weepy. Some just get you down the road. But these are a hundred essential songs that map out country music. And the top of the list? A song that very much talks of what we're talking about today. Here's how it goes. I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends out for the tie that binds. Because you're mine, I walk the line. Thank you. Thank you. You know how difficult that is for me to even muster up to do. It was the first number one hit, though, makes it a little easier, of the legendary Johnny Cash. But where Johnny was talking about walking the line with his wife, Today we're going to talk about something even more important. Walking the line 
when it comes to God's Word. And like we did last week, we're going to look at a principle for being a better reader of the Bible. That's where we're going to begin and, and then see that principle worked out in the book of Jonah. But today, again, our principle is called staying on the line. And if you have that insert in your bulletin, you're welcome to take that out and, and, and just have that in front of you because I want to begin by asking this question. What does it even mean to stay on the line? What does it even mean? Well, it means this, and it's right there in front of you. It means being faithful to God's Word, because God's Word is the line. And beyond taking the time to stop and listen, if we're going to be better readers of the Bible, to read it as it was meant to be read, we have to be prepared and committed to remaining faithful to it, to not go above the line, which leads to legalism, or go below the line, which leads to liberalism, but to stay on the line out of faithfulness to it. You go above by, by adding to God's Word, saying more than it says, ultimately demanding more than it demands. That's legalism. Or below by, by taking away from it, saying less than it says which leads to demanding less than it demands what's sometimes referred to as liberalism. But for those staying on the line, they commit themselves to that old courtroom adage, right? To tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. To say what it says and demand what it demands. And you can actually walk through the Bible and see how important this is to God. I'd even, I'd even encourage you today to do that with this list that's on that sheet, to take some of these passages listed here and, and see for yourself that when God speaks, God expects His people to listen and expects those who speak for Him to speak His words, not their own. No more, no less. And there's a reason for that. That as important as this is to God, it's just as important for us. Because throughout the Bible, God's words are what gives life. And we can see that in creation itself. That's what this story at the beginning of the Bible is all about. That God speaks and His words go forth carried along by by His divine breath, the Holy Spirit, which to the formless brings form and makes the emptiness full and turns the darkness into light. The power of God's Word carried along by His divine breath. But we see it also in God's work of recreation. That like our new doctrinal says, having spoken our world into being, God spoke again in the sending of His Son. And that because of Jesus, we're able to once again live with God through the gift of God's Spirit who empowers us to live for God as we never otherwise could. That God speaks and life happens. And it's all over the Bible. Like it says on that sheet, that since the time of Moses, God has made it clear. But I want to take a moment before turning to to Jonah to show you that it actually goes back further still. 
This expectation that, that when God speaks, God's people listen. And that those who speak for God will speak on God's behalf. God's words, not their own. I just want to take a moment to show that this expectation actually goes back further still. That this issue of staying on the line of whether or not we'll be faithful to God's word is in fact at the very heart of human history. So I want you to turn, if you have a Bible again, to Genesis chapter 3. Take a minute. It's back at the beginning of the Bible. All the way back at the beginning. Three chapters in. And this is where things start to go south. After the formless is formed and the emptiness is filled and the darkness is turned to light. This is where things start to go dark again. So let me read just the first eight verses again of Genesis chapter 3. Here's what it says. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. That's such a little interesting tidbit, right? The trees that they were free to eat from they end up hiding themselves amongst. I find that so interesting. But did you hear it? Did you hear it? Did you hear? What does the serpent come and do? What does he do? What does he do? What's the first thing out of his mouth? He deceives. He, He calls into question what God said. He is the quintessential liberal. Now, I mean that in a, a different way, but, but he's more liberal than Hillary Clinton. But he's not playing fast in this instance with the Constitution. He's playing fast with the command of God. Did God actually say? He's taking away from the Word, making like God said less than God did. And eventually, just like you'd expect, He demands less than God demands. You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God. So eat. But what about Eve? She's not a liberal. She's a legalist. We may eat of the fruit of the trees, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. She's saying more than God said and demanding more than God demands. 
Not that Eve, in recognizing the temptation, couldn't put up boundaries to protect herself from disobedience. Like any guy who puts a program on his computer to protect himself from the temptation of pornography. That's wise. You can do that. You can do that out of love for Jesus. But the minute you say that God said to do it, the minute you put words into God's mouth that weren't there to begin with, that you start to put fences up and claim that they're God's fences, now you're a legalist. I don't expect she would have gone around touching the fruit on the tree. How tender, right? soft and smooth. But it's her fence, not God's. The command was not to eat. What she does with it, how she follows with it, that's a different matter. But to put those things in the mouth of God is to become the legalist. The moment she says, God said, she's crossed the line to where the line no longer matters because she is the one drawing the line for herself. And ironically, It's exactly this that leads the legalist into eventually joining the liberal. And I bet we have a lot of anecdotes here today that you know of or you've lived through of the times when you drew the lines for yourself. Good lines. Protective lines. But eventually ended up crossing those and the ones that God actually set himself. And then there's Adam, who doesn't even care enough to enter the conversation. Not, not, not that he's off doing his own thing. He's actually there the whole time, but he's waiting around, biding his time to see whether the legalist or the liberal fares better. Because he cares about the line even less than Eve does. See, this issue of staying on the line is in fact at the heart of human history. Whether or not those created by God will bend their wills to God's word or whether they'll attempt to bend God's word to their wills. Which is why it's no surprise that this issue of of staying on the line surfaces in the book of Jonah. Because it's the issue. And it's always the one that surfaces. So turn again with me to the opening verses of this little book. We're digging into the details, but not deep today. Just these three little verses. And notice with me that the the very first line says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Which was a pretty typical opener for, for those who were set apart as God's spokesmen. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. These spokesmen were were called prophets. And prophets, by definition, spoke for God. But to speak for God presupposed that a prophet was spoken to by God. So this isn't really surprising that the, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And the word is pretty clear. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But what is surprising is that rather than hop on the next flight to Nineveh or Camel or actually just end up walking there, because according to Google, you can actually do that in like nine days. 
if you don't take any breaks. But rather than heading to Nineveh, we're told that Jonah gets on a boat and rises to flee to a city called Tarshish, which, which if you look on a map might as well be called not Nineveh because it's five times the distance in the opposite direction. And so when God says Nineveh, all you hear in the text is Tarshish, Tarshish, Tarshish. Away from the presence of the Lord. And that's an interesting parallel too, isn't it? That in the garden, when when Adam and Eve had decided what good and evil was in their own eyes, the first thing they do is hide themselves from the presence of the Lord. And here, where's Jonah heading? Away from the presence of the Lord. Which in one sense is ridiculous. Because how do you get away from God? But in another sense is tragic. Because God's presence is what we were made for. It's the only thing you ought to want to get to. But to turn from God's Word is to turn from God. To turn from God's Word is to turn from God. Which means we ought to care about reading the Bible. And we ought to care about reading the Bible better. Which means we ought to be prepared and committed to not only stop and listen, but to staying on the line. And I don't know where it is for you. What area of life you're currently struggling with the most, deciding what's good and evil in your own eyes, bending the Word to your own will based on what's comfortable or what feels good or what you take to be your right or your entitlement privilege because you're what matters most or because you've been hurt so you'll decide you'll decide when you'll forgive or when you won't forgive or how you'll forgive or or or, or or what you'll do with those who need to be forgiven like Jonah did I don't know where you're having the hardest time letting God be God and letting Him decide what's best for you and for those around you. Because you'd rather just do it yourself. But let me tell you, if you want God, if you want God's presence, whether eternally or His closeness in the here and now, if you want God's presence, you've got to understand that it begins with God's Word. both in this book and in this bigger book and in the person of Jesus. Because those who get the presence of God are those who walk the line. Jonah couldn't escape the presence of the Lord in one sense. But he certainly wasn't when he got onto that boat 
sitting in the presence of the Lord like he should have been. The presence of God is reserved for those who care about God's Word for those who walk the line. You know, it's interesting that Johnny Cash wrote that song in the midst of his rising fame. Do you know the story behind it? In the midst of his rising fame and all the problems that that brought, he wrote it as a a declaration of fidelity. His celebrity status was putting a a strain on his relationship with his first wife. And he ends up declaring to her that because you're mine, I'll walk the line. But it ended up that that song was what catapulted him to a level of fame he had never previously known. It was his first number one hit. And ironically, singing that declaration of fidelity drove the last nail into the coffin of his marriage. And there's a reason for that. Because while he was singing about fidelity to his wife, he was out on tour with another woman. As much as he was declaring that I'll walk the line, the line wasn't in front of him. The grace of the line wasn't in front of him. He ended up marrying that other woman. Ended up eventually singing that song to her. And the story had a very different ending with the line in front of him. Because all of a sudden it wasn't just a declaration of what should have been but a description of what was. And my prayer is that our commitment to walk the line of God's word would be the same, not just a declaration that we plast on some bumper sticker or put in the middle of our name, but that it would be a description of who we are. Let me leave you with three challenges in light of that. To get into God's word, to get out of the way, and to get into relationship. First, let me challenge you to get into God's word. Because this is the issue that's at the heart of human history. Whether or not those created by God will bend their wills to God's word, or whether they'll attempt to bend God's word to their wills. So we should care enough to hear God's word for what it says. Not what we think it says or what we want it to say, but what it actually says, which sometimes is a little more involved than we make out because it's not just about the words that are used. Remember Satan can quote those as well as anybody. It's not just about the words, but what was being said through those words. And we've got a lot of 
cultural and chronological and character issues that keep us from that. So we've got to care enough to not only hear God's word, but to understand it as its authors meant it to be understood. Because to hear them is to hear the God who chose to reveal himself through them. So let me challenge you to get into God's word like you've never done before. But with that, second, let me challenge you to get out of the way. To consciously, intentionally get out of the way. Because the heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. And each of us, in our own way, has an incredible capacity for bending God's word to our own wills. Rather than bending our wills to God's word. And you only have to look as far as Jonah. Because here's a word guy with a word issue. This was his occupation. And he was running from it. A word guy with a word issue. And and we're a word church, but we can just as easily run from the thing we hold most dear. And sometimes not even know that we're doing it. Not even be conscious that we're the issue. That even in our defense of God's word, we have the ability to lose sight of it. To be holding so firmly to what we think it says over here in this one isolated place and then miss what it says over and over and over again everywhere else. And so let me encourage you to even spend this week reflecting a bit more on this side of Jonah's story. There's some questions on the back of that insert that wouldn't be a bad place to start. But third, let me challenge you that getting into God's Word and getting out of the way on your own isn't enough. Your attempt to do that isn't enough but that you need to get into some serious relationships where you can know and be known. Because again, we've got as much capacity as Jonah. We've got as much capacity as Johnny to be singing one minute of our fidelity and while at the same time it's leading us into adultery. Which is why we're we're pushing even as elders... Um, so hard on this idea of home groups, of getting into relationships. And we know that's not going to be where everyone plugs into relationships, but you need somewhere, not where you're an anonymous person, where you can even dig into God's Word outside of community. You need somewhere where you're known, where someone knows your family, knows the dynamics, knows what you're about, what you do and what you don't do. You need that. If you don't have that, you will see that amazingly awful capacity to bend God's word. You will see that take effect. And that's not good. You may not even know it and you will end up running away from the word you hold so dear. And you run away from the word you run away from the God behind it. So we're pushing hard on this idea of home groups. And we're even saying they don't need to look what they looked like in the past. 
We just want people together driving God's word deep into each other's lives. And so as a reminder of that, we've included that little bookmark in your Bible that we hope is useful one way or another as you're getting together with others, of organizing your time together generally and then getting into God's word. That you would do that, that we would do that with everyone. I don't do that enough. Which means if you start hanging out with me, you might get these awkward conversations because I'm, I'm very much under this right now. And I'm going to be driving myself towards this. That I need to be in the word with people, not just getting burgers. Sorry. Had a lot of nice burgers, a lot of nice people. But we care about this enough to push hard. And so if you're not connected... I encourage you again, take the opportunity now, early in the academic year, as the schedule is coming together, to figure out where is the time that I am going to be known and do my part in knowing others. Because this is the beautiful mess of the church, that we get to walk the line together, that we have to walk the line together, that Jesus died so we could do just that because he knew we couldn't walk it alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, as we dive deep over the next years into this book, over the next (laughs) weeks into this book, see the heart of Jonah laid bare, to see our own hearts reflected in that, I pray we as a church would be putting ourselves on the line for one another, caring deeply for who we are and how bent we can be and how far we fall and that God's put us in a community for just that reason, that we would be the hands and feet of Christ, that through us he would work that through us he would be glorified because in us he reigns. I pray he would, even as we pray he comes. Amen. Unlike Jonah, go this week and get into God's word. Go this week and get out of the way. And unlike Jonah, go this week and don't try and go it alone we weren't meant to we were meant to do it together thank you for joining us for more information about our church please visit our church's website at kishbible.org that's k-i-s-h bible dot o-r-g